Hey there, welcome back to a new episode of the Liberators Network podcast. The topic for today's episode is self-organization, or the distinction between self-management and self-organization. You may have noticed that in the new Scrum Guide, instead of talking about self-organizing Scrum teams, the Scrum Guide now talks about self-managing Scrum teams. That seems like a trivial change, but it has a lot of impact on how we think about self-organization and self-management. And what's really interesting is that while we were writing our book, The Zombie Scrum Survival Guide, we actually decided to dedicate an entire chapter to this distinction as well. In this chapter, which is the focus for today's episode, we also make the distinction between self-managing and self-organization, and we explain how the Scrum Guide should have always used the term self-managing to describe Scrum teams and not self-organizing. In this chapter and in today's episode, we're going to explain why the distinction matters, and we will also explain how both concepts are still incredibly valuable and important to Scrum teams in general. One pattern that we've noticed since the new Scrum Guide was released is that a lot of people are now starting to correct each other in the way they talk about Scrum teams. So for example, when someone talks about self-organizing Scrum teams, they are being corrected by someone else. And while we understand that that's something that happens when there's a new Scrum Guide with different language, we do want to make the point that both self-organizing and self-managing are still valuable and valid concepts for Scrum teams. And in this episode, we'll explain why, and I think it's also a good way to understand why the Scrum Guide decided to change that particular characteristic of Scrum teams to self-managing. Enjoy the episode! No matter which version of the Scrum Guide you read, self-organization is a concept that is and remains central to the Scrum framework. But for all its significance, it's remarkably hard to define and understand. It is often confused with self-management or the idea that teams should make their own decisions. This distinction may seem trivial, but it helps to understand two essential truths about Scrum that we explore in more detail in this episode. The first is how Scrum uses self-organization to act as a lever to make organizations more agile. The second is how Scrum teams require a high degree of self-management to make this happen. What is self-organization? In different scientific domains, from biology to sociology and from computational sciences to physics, self-organization is defined as the process by which order arises spontaneously from something that is initially disorganized. This order is the result of self-organization only when it emerges from the interactions of the smallest units of the system and isn't imposed by outside influences. Self-organization happens all around us and on many different levels. It happens when the wind creates beautiful shapes in the sand. It happens when ants work together to build massive colonies without a clear intelligence guiding them. And it happens when people effortlessly avoid walking into each other when large crowds intersect. A good example of this phenomenon is when you bring a large group of employees together. Initially, there will be chaos, because they don't know how to work together. Managers can create order by giving instructions, but because this order is imposed, it isn't self-organization. Alternatively, employees can come to a shared understanding of how to perform and coordinate their work, 
without direction from outside. Although this example uses employees as its smallest unit, you can replace them with scrum teams for the same effect. There too, rules, structures and collaborations will form spontaneously when you put 50 teams together. Whether they are also effective is another question, however. The success of self-organization and whether or not it turns into chaos or useful solutions depends on two major ingredients. The first is the simple rules that teams follow, and the second is the autonomy they actually have. Self-organization through simple rules. The first ingredient for successful self-organization is the simplicity and quality of the rules that are followed by the smallest units of a system. A common example is a flock of birds that creates elaborate and complex patterns in the sky called murmuration. For all their beauty, these patterns are the result of a few simple rules that all birds adhere to. They maintain the same speed and stay at a similar distance from a handful of birds close to them. As each individual bird follows these simple rules, tiny variations in speed, distance and direction cause big changes as the flock rapidly elongates, turns and flips. Without these simple rules, chaos would not ensue. Self-organization does not reflect the autonomy of individual birds, but rather how group-level patterns spontaneously emerge when individual members of a group follow a few simple rules. The Scrum Framework purposefully defines one essential rules for Scrum teams to follow. Deliver a done increment every sprint that achieves the sprint goal. This increment is the primary driver of transparency, inspection and adaptation. It gives purpose to all the structural elements that make up the Scrum Framework, its roles, artifacts and events. Although following this rule is certainly not as simple as maintaining the same speed and distance from the birds around you, maintaining it will cause system-wide changes. The people who build the product, the scrum teams, will discover things that get in their way of releasing a done increment every sprint. They may discover that they lack skills or depend on people outside the team to do work for them or a lack of mandate may make it hard for product owners to define a clear sprint goal or make decisions. As Scrum teams identify and remove impediments, it becomes progressively easier to conform to the single rule of creating a done increment every sprint. This enables them to improve their way of working more quickly in response to the increasing amount of feedback they are getting on their work, and the speed at which they are obtaining this feedback. In other words, they are becoming increasingly flexible and agile to their environment. The Scrum Framework acts as a lever for system-level change by having Scrum teams focus on releasing a done increment every sprint. Unfortunately, teams that suffer from zombie Scrum are either unwilling or unable to follow this single rule. Here, the lever doesn't work and self-organization doesn't happen or not in a direction that matters to agility. Self-organization through self-management. The second ingredient for successful self-organization lies in the autonomy that people and teams have to determine their own rules. One way to think about this is to consider the work that a team does as a river. An impediment or challenge may appear in the form of a rock that is put in its path. The more constrained the river is, the fewer options there are to flow around the rock. 
Increased autonomy gives teams the ability to allow their work to flow around rocks that get in their way. Organizational, organizational scientists often describe this as self-management. In this philosophy on management, teams are responsible for a complete product, an isolated part of a product or a particular service. Instead of having a manager who decides for them or having to adhere to strict policies and protocols, teams have a degree of autonomy in areas such as the following. For example, how new members of a team are selected and recruited, how teams and its members are rewarded and evaluated, how teams spend their time, how they set goals, how they synchronize their work with other teams, departments and units, how decisions are made within the team, how they distribute their work and which methods, practices and techniques teams can use. For each of these areas, the autonomy of a team ends up somewhere between no autonomy at all and full autonomy. The concept of self-managed teams might seem novel, but it has been around for a long time. Self-management is an important part of the Sociotechnical System, or STS, approach that was developed by the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations during the Second World War. As a result of this work, self-managed teams started appearing everywhere, including in many car manufacturing plants. Instead of the traditional assembly line manufacturing that had previously prevailed, teams took responsibility for the completion of entire subsystems of a car, like the brakes, the electronics and so on. Teams were also responsible for their own planning, scheduling, task allocation, recruitment and training, without involvement from management. The extensive research that has been done on socio-technical systems over the years shows a huge boost in job satisfaction, motivation, productivity and quality. The Toyota production system or TPS that would later inspire the Scrum framework and Lean methodology is a good example of such a socio-technical system. Although earlier versions of the Scrum guide defined Scrum teams as being self-organizing, it always meant them to be self-managing in order for the process of self-organization to happen. Scrum teams have all the roles and responsibilities needed to make decisions about their product and how to do their work. In reality, most Scrum teams are severely limited in their ability to self-manage, however. In an attempt to reduce the potential chaos and disorder that they expect will happen when teams self-manage, Many organizations tightly control how teams do their work. They either don't understand the mechanisms of self-organization or they don't trust the outcomes, with zombie scrum as a result. And this brings us to the core of why this matters, why this is so important to the scrum framework and to agility in general. Self-organization is a survival skill in a complex world. Complex environments are characterized by high degrees of unpredictability and uncertainty. This makes them volatile and rife with risk. Markets shift in the blink of an eye, new technologies achieve widespread popularity seemingly overnight, and as they do, they may be found to harbor security vulnerabilities that need to be fixed immediately. New competitors enter the market with a superior product, undermining seemingly unassailable market positions. And then there are global catastrophes such as the financial crisis of 2008 and the COVID-19 pandemic that we're currently in. That upend econo economies overnight and take companies entirely by surprise. 
As our world becomes increasingly globalized and interconnected, so does the chance of unpredictable and highly impactful events that demand immediate adaptation. The statistician Nassim Taleb calls these events black swans. Taleb goes on to describe how organizations often optimize for what he calls robustness. In an effort to reduce volatility, they rely on standardization and centralized coordination to reduce harmful variation, both within and outside the organization. For example, all teams have to use the same technologies or follow the same procedures when solving specific problems. Or they create centralized steering committees to guide multi-team product development. By adopting rigid standards and coordination structures, organizations are able to limit the impact of variation when the changes are small. But in a world that is increasingly volatile, this rigidity prevents them from adapting to change and can even break them entirely. Another way is to optimize for anti-fragility. Instead of trying to resist variations and shocks, anti-fragile systems grow stronger when they are pressured. For example, engineering teams at Netflix created a tool called Chaos Monkey to randomly terminate services in their infrastructure. Every time a terminated service ends up causing disruptions to end users, engineering teams redesign the infrastructure and the architecture to reduce the impact. Over time, responding to these kinds of random shocks, shocks helped Netflix make its infrastructure more resilient. Space Exploration Technologies, or SpaceX, has a launch cadence that is purposefully higher than that of other launch providers. Every time a launch fails, their self-managed teams update technology, protocols and processes to avoid similar failures in the future. Other organizations, including Procter & Gamble, Facebook, Google and Toyota, run many small experiments at the same time to explore different alternatives. Although most experiments fail, some strike gold. More importantly, their self-managed teams learn from failures and they grow stronger because of them. In these stories, three threats are apparent in anti-fragile organizations. The first is that they rely on self-managed teams to self-organize around problems as they appear. The second is that they encourage experimentation to grow stronger through failure. And the third is that they spend effort to learn from failure through single and double loop learning. Taken together, organizations develop the skills, technologies and practices to not only survive the uncertainty of complexity, but to actually thrive on it and benefit from it, because they can adapt faster than their competitors. Unfortunately, and as we explore later in our book, the variation and redundancy that is necessary for anti-fragility is often seen as inefficient and wasteful by organizations where zombie scrum is flourishing. The concept of anti-fragility ties together much of what we've been writing about in our book, The Zombie Scrum Survival Guide, and in our blog post and that we talked about in our podcasts. The Scrum framework actively promotes self-organization through self-management. It relies on self-managed teams to self-organize around challenges that get in their way. By following the single rule of releasing a done increment every sprint, everything that makes it hard for teams to do so becomes apparent, including many of the factors that optimize for robustness, but not anti-fragility, 
such as rigid control structures, lack of mandate, long feedback loops, and highly specialized but not distributed skills. By releasing a done increment every sprint, teams effectively introduce more opportunities for success and failure, giving them opportunities to reflect on their results and learn. When enough teams in an organization do this, the whole system becomes increasingly anti-fragile. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. I hope you learned something new about self-managing and self-organization. And while it makes complete sense for the Scrum Guide to talk about self-managing Scrum teams now, self-organization is still the goal. It's important to keep that in mind. We also hope that you like this teaser of our new book, The Zombie Scrum Survival Guide. If this tastes like more, just go ahead and buy a copy. You can get one directly from us or in your favorite bookshop. It's good to know that while this story was quite theoretical, maybe even philosophical in a sense, our book is filled with many experiments and practical interventions that you can use. For example, we offer 12 practical experiments to increase self-organization within your organization and to increase the ability of teams to self-manage. So if you're interested in improving that in your team, we think our book is a good start for that, but ultimately that's up for you to decide. In any case, I hope you liked today's episode. If you did, please rate it or review it on whatever platform you're listening on, maybe even share it with friends. And we hope to see you again for the next episode. Take care and stay safe. Bye-bye.